Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Hello again, everyone. It's good to be with you guys again. We had a good time uh, dedicating the kids. It's always a great thing. And I'm always excited for uh, any parents who are going to raise their kids up in the ways of God because uh, it is so, so important to do that, especially nowadays. Uh, today we're going to talk on a subject that um, I don't think I've ever done a specific message on in the uh, almost 40 years I've been preaching, uh, but we're talking on persecution. And um, so you'll see as we get there, but... Uh, one of my hopes is, and if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're just visiting today and you think we're kind of crazy, I used to be like you, okay? I thought Christians were out of their minds, and uh, I never thought I'd be a preacher or anything like that. I never thought I'd be a Christian. But um, if I can just show you, if you're not a follower of Christ, show you that there's a real spiritual dimension, there's a real persecution, there are things that are happening in this world, and you may not buy into all, all I'm saying. I'm just going to give you what's in the Bible, what God says and to show you these things. But for you Christians, I want to show you how do you do with persecution, especially in our culture now that it's slamming everything in our face. Any amens on that? And we have to make our stands and with love and tell them, no, the God's word says this, not that. That is sin. And I know sin, uh, if you're not a follower of Christ, sin is a concept not even spoken anymore, but God uses it a lot, correct? And we can't just, oh, it's a mistake, or it says, no, 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 it's sin. So I'm going to begin with the verse that we has nothing to do with the message, but these two verses are, um, I think it's two of them, maybe there's two, yeah, that um, they are uh, something I want you to learn and I take pieces from. So here we go. We do these about six weeks, five weeks of a verse, and then I'll get into the message. I want you all to read it with me. I'm going to count to three, and everyone, please read it out loud. It would help me out. Here we go. One, two, three. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins and there's the word sin again now go back to verse 13 for me John now we talked how God has rescued us from a domain a domain of darkness a domain means literally power and authority and so as a follower of Christ when you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you decided to follow him I mean you're the real deal you're going you were tra- you, you, there was a transfer away from the power and authority of Satan's kingdom you're no longer under that authority Satan cannot make you do anything he has no authority over you whatsoever greater is he that dwells in you the Holy Spirit than he that is in the world amen to that one so you walk in that kind of knowing and understanding. You're going to be a different person. Now, notice what God did the moment you gave your life to Christ. There was a transfer into a kingdom. And the word transfer, I really like the word because it means to be carried away. And I thought, well, I'm going to go deeper into the root word of this word in the Greek. And it means to stand, to play, be placed somewhere in a, you're standing strong right there. So the moment I put my faith in Christ, I was carried away from an old domain, an old authority of Satan, and now I've been transferred, carried away, and now I've been placed, I stand firm in the kingdom of God. Amen? And so you find this, this truth through scripture. I'll give you just a few quick ones, then we'll get into the message. But Abraham is the father of the 
of the faith. He's the first Hebrew, okay? And so when he's called from Ur of the Chaldees, he, um, he, the name Hebrew comes into play. Hebrew literally means to cross over. That's all the word means. They're Hebrews. They crossed over from flame of destruction, Ur of the Chaldees, to the promised land. That's what it means. They just crossed over. And you find this kind of stuff where there's a transfer of location, transfer of life. You take, for instance, a guy like Jacob. His name, he's a trickster. His name has changed to Israel. You take Simon, as in Simon Peter. His name has changed from Simon to Peter. So you all find all these transfers in Scripture that when you come to Christ and you follow Christ, you see all these transfers take place. Same thing for you and I. Now, with that said, I'll leave that right there. We'll get back to some more of that ver those two verses next week. Now, I want to put up some scriptures this morning that will give us introduction. And these are words from uh, the Apostle Paul. This first one, put it up on the screen. Um, Paul, for those of you who don't know, hated Christians, murdered Christians, job was hunt them down, drag them out of homes, stomp out Christianity, hate them. And then Jesus Christ appears to him, he becomes a Christian, follower of Christ, and he becomes on fire for God. This guy really lived, highly intellectual individual, and really turned it around. Now, watch what he says. Read it all together with me, one, two, three. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So now he says to Timothy, he goes, look, you want to live godly, and this is the key phrase, godly. You live godly. You live according to the word of God. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to be what? Per At some point, you're going to be persecuted. We'll define persecution, the word, in a few moments. But I want to get to what Jesus says about these things. You look what he says in Matthew 5, 10, 11. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Even if you're not a Christian, you've heard that term before. These are the Beatitudes. Read it with me. Here we go. One, two, three. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of Jesus, because of the word of God. So now Jesus is telling us that we're going to be persecuted for, for our following Christ, for our righteousness, not just for what we want to think, but for living this stuff out and standing for this word of God. Now Jesus takes it a step further, and there's a lot of verses that Jesus says that we could point out, but these are just a few. Look at Matthew 10, 16. We're going to read about five verses. Here we go. One, two, three. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents. Now stop. Serpents literally means just be wise. Just be very wise. Continue. And innocent as doves. Verse 17. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their sin. That's wild, isn't that right there? But that's true. And you will even be brought before governors, that's government, and kings, that's government, for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Talking to Jews there, talking to Gentiles. Verse 19, but when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. Now stop real quick. He's not telling you you're going to be delivered all the time. He's telling you God will give you what to say. The Spirit of God living in you. Your mind is Holy Spirit. You're friendly. The Spirit will speak through you. And for those of you that are newer to church, when you became a Christian, the Spirit of God came to live in you. God lives in you. Verse 20, here we go. For it is not you who speak, but it is the 
spirit of your father who speaks in you. Isn't that great? Brother will betray brother to death and a father is child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put together. Christ will bring division in some families because some people will go with the culture, with the thinking of the world, rather than with Christ. And it will divide families. And verse 22, here we go. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Now, that's a mouthful, is it not? But what is Jesus telling us? He says, you want to live for me? Meaning, Jesus, you want to live according to the word of God? You're going to stand up and speak the truth of God's word in the midst of a culture that's pushing back hard against you and this world's upside down? Any amen? You're going to be persecuted. It's going to, they're going to come at you. Now, the word persecution, so you understand it. If When you do live for Christ, when you do stand up for the word of God and not go with, oh, well, I feel anything. No, go with what God says, like Jesus did. It is written. But when you do persecution, what does it mean? The idea of the word means chased after. You're going to be chased after, but it goes further than that. It means chased after the point of being worn out. That you will incur opposition, 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 opposition because of what you believe, because of what you stand for. That the world will put, and when I say the world, it's the world thinking, it's the culture out there that's contrary to Christ. Whenever I say world, that's what I'm talking about. And Satan is the God of this world according to the New Testament. He has control of it. That's why you see all the insanity out there that's getting worse in our day and age. And so you're going to get worn out. You know, can I tell you some crazy stuff? Yeah or no? Okay, so we study on Tuesday nights verse by verse in the book of Daniel. And if you don't go to that, you can catch it the next day on YouTube, NBCC, Narco YouTube. You'll be on there. Or you can podcast. It's on podcast on Spotify. You can listen to all that, and you should get more of the Bible. Now, we've been teaching through Daniel, and one of the things we pointed out of the Antichrist who I believe is alive right now, doesn't know he's the Antichrist, but he will be inhabited by a demon that has existed in history and, and another ruler, and he will just shred this world when he comes on the scene. As a Christian, we'll be gone. We'll talk more on the Antichrist at the very end of this message. But in Daniel, we're talking about him right now because he is, because Daniel's pointing him out. But it says that the Antichrist will wear down the saints. Now that's interesting because that's the idea of persecution. And the Antichrist will be in the great seven-year tribulation. You say, well, Jim, I thought Christians aren't going through the tribulation. We're not. We're going to get raptured. But these are people that get saved in the tribulation period. And he's going to go after them. People that will not accept the mark of the beast, he's going to go after them, chase them down, chase them down. So I'm just telling you, if you're not a believer right now, you're not a follower of Christ, and you reject this stuff, just understand, we're warning you now, so when you see these things, do not follow what he wants, because you will end up in an eternal place that you don't want to be, okay? So you got to be careful with your life. We'd rather you follow Christ now on this side of the grave, and you can avoid all that. Now, if you backed up in Daniel chapter 6, I just told you chapter 7, you find that... Um, that as we studied that, um, that there are these things called stealth laws. They pass this law. It's secret. Nobody knows. They don't tell Daniel. He's high up in government. But it's designed to stop Daniel. They said this law that was created back then in this time frame by the government was that you cannot worship any god except the king. That's idol worship, by the way. So they're saying, and Daniel, if you worship your god, we're going to throw you in the lion's den. And that was the penalty for that. And so what are they really saying? They're saying this. They're saying, what was the law designed for, this stealth law? It's designed to oppress our religious freedom. And don't think they don't pass stealth laws today. Don't think that, because they do. 
They're, they happen. And every time I pick up one of these AB bills in California that's going to oppress us believers, I will let you know. I'm going to let you know. You call up that assembly. And, I, and man, if somebody comes against me for that, listen, I love my grandkids. I want them to grow up in the right place. Any amens on that? So, you know, you're going to waste your time coming to rebuke me on that one because I'll just rebuke you right back. I'm going to stand up for these things. I'm going to let you know what's coming down the pike when I catch it. When I catch this thing, because usually I'm informed of these things that they're trying to secretly pass through, and we did, there was one about four years ago, they tried to secretly pass through that would eventually stop us from using the scriptures in certain ways. Now, with that said, I don't know where I'm at in my notes, okay? <laughs> I'm a preacher, okay? So um, we're going to give you three points today. How do I deal with persecution? Math, uh, Acts 25. And then I'm going to, at the end, I'm going to ram it home with an antichrist idea of what's happening right now. It's been going on for 2,000 years, and it's even happening right now. It's leading up to right now in this whole idea of persecution. So let me do some quick commentary. Acts 25, we're going to go 1 through 7. And if you don't have a Bible, you're a Christian, get a Bible. We have free ones in the lobby over there. Or see somebody after, so get a Bible, start reading it. They'll point you to where to start reading. You need it. You need the scriptures in your life. Any amens on that one right there? Otherwise, you're going to be lost. Now, here we go. Quick commentary. Festus, then having arrived in the province, three days later, went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Now, we're picking up where Paul has been on trial. And now it's been two years he, he's in prison in Caesarea. And so there's a new governor in town. Festus takes over for Felix. We follow this story. Paul's always being persecuted. He comes in. And he's headquartered in Caesarea. If you go to Israel, that's typically the first place we will visit when we wake up our first night there, morning out of Netanya. We'll go to Caesarea. You get to put your feet in the Mediterranean Sea, etc., etc. So uh, he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to, because uh, he wants to see his constituents. Hey, I'm the new governor. Let's meet everybody. Verse 2 And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him. Ah, so now, think about this. How long has, how many years has Paul been in prison? Two years. They have hated him. Now, guys, let's go back in time. These people hate him. They grabbed him. They dragged him. They beat him. They falsely accused him. They, he's been in prison two years, and after two years, do they still hate him? Yes, they do. Do they still want to kill him? Yes, they do. Are they still holding grudges and bitterness and everything against this guy? Yes, they are. Question for all of us. How many of us are holding bitterness and unforgiveness and grudges against somebody? How many of us are doing that to our own destruction? How many of us right now, our marriage is like kind of shaky because we will not forgive each other? Huh? How many of you will not forgive mom or dad or this and that or whatever? How many? And it's to your own destruction. It's hurting nobody but yourself. Now, we're going to deal with that in a few more seconds. A little bit more because I know you really got excited about that idea right there. Yeah. Verse 3. Requesting a concession against Paul that he might have him brought to Jerusalem. At the same time, setting an ambush to kill him on the way. So they're saying, hey, Festus, can you do us a favor? Can you bring Paul from Caesarea to Jerusalem? But why do they want him brought? What do they want to do? Ambush and, and they want to kill him. Now, remember, if you remember, as we study this, two years ago, there were 40 Jewish men who vowed, we're not going to eat anything until we kill Paul. Remember that? Anybody remember that? 
Okay, so two years later, I think they must have died by now if they haven't eaten, right? So, and so the, the two years go by and this, now. So these two years go by, and let me give you one more piece of the earlier piece of unforgiveness. See, they can't stop thinking about Paul, right? Yes or no? How many of us in this room are still holding, go back to bitterness, unforgiveness, how many of us in this room have rented out free space in our head to somebody else because we are so bitter? That they dwell in our mind, they dwell in our head, they have free rent in our minds because we will not forgive and let go. Anybody? Anybody? Don't raise your hand. I don't even want to (laughs) know. Now, verse 4. Is it for? Yeah. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. He says, okay, I got him in Caesarea. I'm going to leave shortly and watch what he tells him in verse 5. Therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go there with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. In other words, okay, you know, come back with me, this and that. And we'll check it out. Verse 6. After he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea, and on the next day, he took a seat in the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. So they get back. All these Jewish leaders have come back, and they're standing there, and, uh, and, and here's Festus, and they bring Paul in. Watch verse 7. Because now they're in the courtroom. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Okay, I want you to get the whole perspective here before we dig into the, how do we deal with persecution. Now here's Paul. He's on, in the courtroom. This is a secular court, not a Christian courtroom. The government, Festus, the Roman government, is presiding over it. So you see, like Jesus said, you'll be brought before governors and kings. In other words, you will be held on trial, Christians at times. And Christians all over the world are held on trial in different countries for what they believe and what they preach. Any amens on that? It's happening all over the world. So here's, here's Paul. And, and Paul, standing trial here in, in verse 7 it says everything they're throwing at him everything they're saying about every lie they're throwing everything they're making up stuff that he's done could they prove any of it nothing it's a complete waste of time government money effort everything but they keep trying boy they'd fit in today wouldn't they they'd fit really in today in today's society now Paul and I'm going to come down with you guys now Paul from his life we're going to look at Uh, three ways to deal with persecution. Christian, look up at me. You're not a Christian. Take a one-minute siesta right now. (laughs) They're throwing it in our face now, huh? Any yeses? Christians, any yeses? They're throwing it in our face. It's on steroids now. Yeah. It's like, it's nonstop. It's nonstop. I have never seen it like this in my life, ever. I've been walking with Christ, August will be 44 years, I've never seen it like this. I fear for, not my kids, they're old now and they, they're firm in their faith, but I, my grandkids. Anybody? This world that they're gonna grow up in, that's pressing and pressing. I get really upset inside sometimes, just let you know. When I watch what they're trying to do to children in schools, I really, I really, 
It just bugs me. I don't understand the logic or the illogic behind what they keep pushing. I don't understand any of it. It doesn't even make sense. We were talking in the AV room. And I say, oh yeah, I remember that. Where one um, school banned the Bible in their library because it has sexual things in there. You know, like David and Bathsheba and stuff like that. Yeah, but that's, that's banned, but they want to bring in everything, other, other sexualized things to sexualize children at a young age. Any amens on that one? They're doing that. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's like, so, if something's not right here. Something's gone wrong in the head, and it's wrong. And we have the truth. See, they're just going to, when you talk to somebody about this, they're going to tell you what they feel and what they think. They cannot give you foundation for anything. It's a matter of feel and think. You and I have a basis for what we believe. Never forget that. So when somebody comes at you with this nonsense, you ask them, what do you base that on? See, make them prove their, their stance. They have no validity. They have no foundation. We do. And so when you get your turn, know what your Bible says. Now, Paul is being persecuted. You and I, we will be persecuted. Jesus guaranteed it. And it will come from government. And even he said you'll be in, in, in synagogues. And it will come from other Christians too. Don't make no mistake about it. There will be a few Christians here and there that will come against you for your strong biblical stance. Have you experienced that at all yet? Has anyone experienced that? It's crazy, huh? How can you possibly believe what you believe and say you're a follower of Christ? It doesn't make sense. So I want to give you three things today um, that um, how we handle persecution, what Paul did. The first one's real quick. I'm just going to, I'm going to blow through that one. Then I'm going to, I'm going to linger longer in point. That's cool. Linger longer. I got to remember that. In point two and three. Okay, number one. What do I do when I'm persecuted? Make sure I suffer for doing right, not wrong. Is that true? Okay, let's look what Paul says. Paul's going to say this. It says, and would you read it with me out loud again? Because that really helps me out. I really, I, I just like that. Here we go. One, two, three. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they what? Can't prove any of it. It's all a bunch of lies. While Paul said this, come on, in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews, meaning the God's law, or against the temple or against Caesar. They say, you've done this, 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 and Paul says what? I've done none of that. I'm innocent. I've not broken any laws. I've not committed any crime against God. I've not committed any crime against Caesar. I've not done any of these things. I mean, and they know it. They cannot prove anything about him. And so now you find here's a man being persecuted over what? What's he being persecuted for? The truth. The truth of God's word. And that's what we'll be persecuted for. The truth of God's word which goes against the lies that are being pushed against us. You follow the thinking right there? And so Paul is suffering for doing what is right, for godly things. Now, Peter, a New Testament writer, one of the 12 original uh, apostle disciples, he wrote this. Put it up on the screen. Would you read it with me? All together. Christians, really listen to this as you read it. One, two, three. For what credit is there if... When you sin and are harshly treated, you endure with patience. But if when you do what is right 
and suffer for it. You patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. In a nutshell, one of the statements in there is basically this. Christians, don't suffer because you're sinning. See, I've, I've met just this only happened a few times over my 40 years, 40 plus years in the faith, where a Christian would say, I'm being persecuted, I'm being attacked for this, and I, that, well, what happened? And they tell me, I'm thinking, well, you, you're in sin. You're sinning. You're not suffering persecution. You're suffering consequences for your sin. As a Christian, we should never be walking that type of we're in sin and they go, oh, I'm attacked for that. No, you're suffering consequences. See, if we're going to suffer persecution, we're suffering because we're doing what is right. Paul is being attacked for the truth. And if you stand for the truth, you're going to be attacked. Any amens on that one? It's just going to happen. Be ready for it. So that's a quick one. And I just want to move fast to get to the next one. And that's this. Persecution. Remember your worldview. Does Paul have a worldview? Yes or no? He believes Jesus Christ is the God-man. He believes Jesus Christ came to earth, carried our sins. They crucified him. He was buried. He rose from the dead. This is what he believes to be true. Does he have a God view, a world view? Yes, he does. That's his world view. And everything in your world view is your starting point. It's your compass. It's how you interpret all of life. Did you know that? That's why I can't press you enough to read this Bible, study the Bible, because you're either going to have a secular worldview or a biblical worldview. And it's how you're going to interpret everything in this life. Everything in this world, you'll interpret through one of those two worldviews. Can I give you a for instance? Yes or no? Okay, let me move it to a different category, but same idea of worldview to, to show you how this whole thing works. Okay. Archaeologists, whether secular or creation archaeologists, all those things, we know now that there are billions of bones on this earth in fact, about 70% of this earth contains billions of bones buried under sometimes thousands of feet of rock and dirt that was moved there by massive amounts of water. Did you know that? They know that. This is what they know. Whether Now, a secular worldview, a non-Bible worldview, they will say that over millions and 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 millions of years those, those dirt and rock layers, little by little, little by little, rose up over millions and millions and millions and millions of years and burying those animals. My question is, did the animals just lay there alive at one point and go, start, start, little, you know? It doesn't, it, it, you laugh, right? Because it doesn't make sense, but that's what they say. That's, that's their worldview. Now, I have a biblical worldview. I hear that. And I hear that there's billions of bones buried under sometimes thousands of feet of dirt and rock moved there by massive amounts of water. And my worldview says that is because of one event. And that is Noah's flood. Somebody in first service said Noah's ark like he was crashing into all these animals. I said, no, the ark didn't kill anybody. It was an escape vessel, okay? I thought it was hilarious when they said it. And they meant the flood. Yeah, so Noah's flood. So you see how my worldview gives me my interpretation of everything in life? Are you following me on that? Worldview is very important. 
I'll give you another one like this. When they say that we evolved over millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years overall, then if that's the case, then think about this. Then if all these animals and humans evolved from this stage to this stage to this stage to this stage and we evolved this stage, then over all these millions of years, shouldn't there be billions of in-between stage species we'd be digging up all the time? Shouldn't you be digging, digging a hole in your yard for a plant and you go, oh, there's a half man, half lizard here or something like that. You should be finding these everywhere. You know how many they found? None. Oh, but it's fact. It's fact that we, do, oh, we evolved. So my worldview says, no, God made Adam and Eve on, on the day six of creation. Whole, that's who they made him as whole human beings. Any amens on that? So you see how worldview is important? Yes or no? Your biblical worldview gives you the interpretation of how to view everything in life. Now, with that said, watch this. This is a psalmist by the name of Asaph. Watch. I'm going to read this to you. Don't read it. Just listen. He says, Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. No, I'm sorry, Becca. I jumped one. It shifted. I didn't see when it shifted. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Verse 14. Now, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children and God's children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment, they are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Here's what he's saying. He's got this problem. He's like, I'm looking at all these evil people and here I am, I'm walking pure and I've never got ahead in life, this and I've struggled and all these evil people that don't even know you, Jesus, never walk with you and they're filthy rich and they have all these things and all this stuff and it's a struggle for me to look. Anybody ever struggle with that idea? Of course, you're human. But notice what he says. He says, I struggle with these things. But then he says, until... I came into the sanctuary of God and I perceived their end. What does that mean? It means I see how they're going to end. I understand that if they don't turn and repent and place their faith in Jesus, I see their eternal end. It will be a fiery eternity for them. It will not be fun. But that tells us how we end as followers of Christ. We know where we're going, right? We know as followers of Christ, we know the eternity that Jesus has for us. And so, and by the way, this should tell us that we need to evangelize people because we don't want anyone to go to hell, right? Please say right. But we also understand that we win and they lose. And your worldview is so important. That's your worldview. Because doesn't it feel like 
even today sometimes we're losing anybody we're not we're not we win we win in the end we win and you don't forget that because that's very important now number three you want to overcome persecution fight through it continue in God's will now watch this in Acts 25 9 we're going to continue God's will 9 and 10 read it with me here we go 1, 2, 3 but Festus wishing to do the Jews a favor answered Paul and said come on everybody are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges in other words hey and then come back to Jerusalem and stand trial now watch what Paul says verse 11 for, oh, I'm sorry verse 10 but Paul said I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried I have done no wrong to the Jews as you also very well know I've done nothing wrong you know I'm in the right court verse 11 he says if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death I do not refuse to die but if none of those things is true of which these men accuse me no one can hand me over to them here it is say it out loud I appeal to Caesar he's a Roman citizen he says I'm innocent so I appeal to Caesar and to Caesar he goes and so this is him staying in the will of God how do I know that because in Acts chapter 9 when Paul converts and becomes a Christian we know Ananias told him you must witness before kings we know in Acts 23 verse 11 Jesus appears to him and says you must go to Rome and witness there so this is all the will of God stuff so he knows that he knows if I go back to Jerusalem they'll kill me I cannot carry out the will of God so guess what he does he uses the human secular courts to carry out the will of God did you notice that that's going to do now somebody's going to say oh Christians shouldn't use the whoa 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 it says brothers shouldn't go against brother two Christians shouldn't battle each other in a secular court you should be able to figure it out in church leadership but you can go to court against the secular environment and that's what Paul is using right there so don't doubt those things right there now Paul is walking in the will of God he's going to get to Rome he's got to be able to, to share with, um, with, with, with the Caesar because this is, this is what he's been called to do now here's the thing um, <clears throat> so how, what, what is it, it you put this all in a nutshell how do you continue to walk strong when persecution wears you down, wears you down, wears you down, wears you down, and wears you down? How do you do that? I think it's simple. I think daily, you have to invite the Spirit of God to empower you daily because you're going out there to battle the spirit of this world. Any amen? amen. I think regularly, daily, you should be reading the Word of God because you need the truth because you're out there being opposed by all kinds of lies. Any amen? then you need to be in fellowship with other believers because you're going out there and being opposed by a fellowship of wrong thinking people amen okay good and then you need to walk in God's will whatever God's will is for you specifically because if not you're open to any interpretation and you'll fill your life up with something that may not be the will of God any amens on that one right there I think it's real simple and that'll keep you strong now at the very beginning I told you that Antichrist, when he comes on the scene, he will want to wear down the saints. If you're a follower of Christ, you'll be raptured. And listen close. I don't mean, oh, I believe there's a God. They engage in nowhere. A lot of people say that. 
You got to believe in Jesus as the God man. He came and he carried your sins on a cross and they killed him. He was buried and he rose from the dead. And our Christianity is built on the resurrection of Christ. Historical fact can be proved. But the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to wear down the saints. Now I'm going to show you something that you just need to warm up to as a Christian. Because it's been going on for a couple thousand years already. And we can be lulled into it and not see it, but it's there. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, something we've, I think, visited on Tuesday nights a couple times. We'll visit it again in our studies and day. Now I'm going to read it to you. Now watch closely. I, I can't do deep commentary. I can only do light commentary, but there's something I've got to pull out of here. It says, watch. This is an antichrist set of verses. Let no one in any way deceive you. In other words, don't be fooled, Christians. For it will not come unless the apostasy, not an apostasy, but the apostasy. In other words, there'll be a great falling away from Jesus Christ in this world. It comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. These are terms for the Antichrist. The man of lawlessness. Lawlessness, the Greek word, literally means the idea of cannot and will not obey the rules, it rebels against the rules, meaning it's God rule. It will not, this Antichrist will not obey God's rule. He's going to do his own rules. Now watch what this guy does. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. In other words, Antichrist will say, I'm God, worship me. But how does he do that? When does he do that? So that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Where is that? That's in Jerusalem. Displaying himself as being God. Now stop quick, very quickly. He will come on the scene for the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. He's going to be a good guy. He's going to be allowed, well, they're going to love this guy. He's going to probably help the Jews, but they will, be, will rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. It's not there yet. It was torn down 70 AD. They want to rebuild it bad. They're going to rebuild it. When it's done, at the midpoint of the Tribulation period, Antichrist will walk into that temple. Remember, Christians, we're gone. We're not here. He will walk in and say, I'm God, now you worship me. And that's when the Jews know they'll been had and all hell will break loose on planet earth. If you do not worship him and follow him and take the mark, you will die for that. He will hunt people down. He will wear out the saints, the people that got saved after the rapture of the existing church right now. He's going to chase them down. This guy's going to be a psycho. That's why I'm telling you right now, look, I don't have time to throw candy to people. Either you're going to follow Christ or you're not. And so you need to hear what I'm saying. And so you say, I reject this and that. Okay, if the rapture happens in our lifetime, your lifetime, and you see those things, no, no. Remember what we said today. Do not take that mark. Because if you do, you will be into hell forever. And that's a long time. Now, verse 5, just warning you. It says, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? This is Paul speaking almost 2,000 years ago. Now watch this. <clears throat> And you know what restrains him now, meaning what restrains the Antichrist, so that his time, so that in his time he will be revealed. What restrains the Antichrist from appearing? The Christians. Once the Christian church, we people are raptured, we, well, he's going to come on the scene because you and, I, you and I would know it's him, right? We know the signs. We know what the Bible says. Can't fool us. So we've got to be taken out of the way. Verse 7. Now here's what I want to lock in on real quick. For the mystery of lawlessness is what? Say the three words. Wait, this was written 2,000 years ago. It's already at work 2,000 years ago. 
Lawlessness. The rejection of God's rule. The rejection of the laws of God. It's already at work. And you see it right now. Don't tell me you don't see it. It's a complete rejection of God's law and God's rule of morality. And they're putting the stuff in our face. And they're going after our kids. and It just drives me crazy. It's already at work. Only he who now restrains them will do so until he's taken out of the way. We're the last hope. We're restraining this thing. The Christians are the last stand before we're taken. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. In other words, guess what, guys? No matter how bad it looks, we win. Jesus is coming back in the second coming. Amen to that one? We win. No matter what. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, meaning the Antichrist, with all power and signs and false wonders. Now listen. Here's one thing that... Paul is saying among many things in this verse. He says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He wrote it 2,000 years ago, almost. Lawlessness, the rejection of all the laws. It's already at work. What does he mean by that? He's telling us that the events in history are not innocent events. That this stuff happened and it continues to periodically happen and it will continue to happen, and it's already at work. It's already at work. It's already here. There's a real spirit out there that's moving in these ways. And it will end up, come to a place in this whole one world dictator antichrist thing where the government will lead a massive, massive persecution against the Christians and what they believe. That's how it's going to end up, guys. That's how it's going to end up. But let's go back to the truth. Christians, we win. We win. If you're not a Christian, can't help you. Unless you put your faith in Christ. Like I said, I'm older now. I, I just can't give you candy, man. I don't believe in tickling ears and stuff. Your life's on the line. Your eternal life's on the line. And I know that because I know what this thing says, this Bible. I didn't want to be a Christian. I didn't want to be one of you people. But I gave my life to Christ at age 23. And I was the party guy out there. And my life changed. Because the Spirit of God came to live in me. And I walked with Christ. If you would have ever told me back then that I'd be a preacher, I would have said, you are out of your mind. But God changed my life. And He can change your life. I'm not saying you're going to be a preacher, but He can change your life. He can change your life. But he, most of all, he can save you from all this stuff, from the mystery of laws. So, with that said, if you've never given your life to Christ, and you know now this is the right thing to do, don't play, don't play. It's the right thing to do. Or you backslid, and you're just playing with God. You just, uh, you're in and out, this and that. Don't play, God knows. Don't play. It's time to get your life right. Solidify it. Get it back right. So if you'd like to put your faith in Christ first time, follow Him forever, or rededicate your life, okay, great. Close your eyes, bow your heads right now. If you'd like to put your faith in Christ and rededicate your life, I want you right now, just open your eyes, look up at me. I'm going to look back at you, and our eyes are going to meet. Once our eyes meet, as a sign between you, me, and God. You can close them. Do it right now. 
Now, for those who looked up at me, I'm going to say this prayer. I want you to say it, repeat it after me. Everyone here who's a Christian is going to say it out loud with you. You're not alone. But when you repeat it, listen, you got to believe it. You're putting your faith in the only Messiah, the only God, the only way out, the only one who can save you from your sins and forgive you of sins and set your feet on solid ground so that you know when you die, you go into eternity with Jesus Christ in a good place. So here we go. Repeat out loud after me and everyone join in with them. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me enough to die for me, to carry my sins on the cross, to rise from the dead, to give me new life. Forgive me of my sins, and I know I'm forgiven. Come into my life. Today I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Now let me pray. God, I pray for everybody who looked up. L- listen closely as I pray for you. I pray that you make a next step. If you leave here and think, oh, I'm not going to follow up, then it meant nothing. It meant nothing. Because if you truly have faith, faith is followed up by works. It produces them. You need to take the right next steps. You need to get into a fellowship, a church. You need to read a Bible, get a Bible. You need to repent of old ways. Tell all your old friends you're a Christian now. You're walking in new life. You need to make your stand now. You've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's Son. Make your stand. And make that stand for the rest of your life. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for them, God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Would you stand up with me, everybody? Here we go. Repeat after me, everybody. You guys ready to repeat? Here we go, with gusto. Lord, keep me outward focused. And fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. If you have a physical offering, you know the bucket's there. If you need prayer for anything, to my left or right to there. If you looked up at me, please go talk to somebody. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco. Or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.